So, you know, one thing they talk about in, um, in polyamory is that the relationship has to adjust and shift to fit the people rather than in monogamy. Often you have, the people have to fit the relationship. So the relationship can be a static, reliable, um, you know, container or platform. Um, but sometimes the freedom suffers or the full expression or the ability to experiment. So yeah, we've done that. We've let our, our relationship keep shifting as we shift and move in different directions. And, you know, and we're able to really listen to who we are and who we're becoming and doing that for one another. Welcome everybody to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Relationships. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> I had a client recently that uh, said that in jest, that they said that their relationship was a little bit avoid of talking about some of the issues and so she was joking around and saying relationships, let's not talk about it, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about polyamory and non-monogamy. I have a conversation with Sam Dalvecchio, and Sam is a somatic therapist. He's also a father, he's a husband, he's a poet. He lives in community at Earth Haven Echo Village in Black Mountain, North Carolina, which is my neighbor. And I'm really enjoying getting to know Sam on a deeper level. He is a person that I would like to form a deeper relationship. So, hey, Sam, yeah, let's get that going. Let's spend some more time together. Yeah, I just enjoyed your kindness and your presence. I enjoyed your thoughtfulness, your intention. And I think it really comes through in our conversation here. So I appreciate that Sam was courageous and he talked about his own experience with polyamory and non-monogamy. And I like that it's from a personal experience instead of just a theoretical aspect of polyamory. And perhaps it would be good for me to give a definition of polyamory for those of you that want more clarity. And I'm going to read this off of an article from Very Well Mind, dated June 23, 2022. To be polyamorous means to have open, intimate, or romantic relationships with more than one person at a time. People who are polyamorous can have any sexual orientation, and polyamorous relationships can include people of different sexual orientations. And unlike open relationships, polyamory is characterized by emotional as well as sexual or romantic intimacy between partners. And in contrast to infidelity, adultery, or extramarital sex, polyamory is consensual and is disclosed to everyone involved. So before we get on to the conversation, I want to thank a couple recent donors to my podcast. I want to thank Jane in Ohio and Mark in California. 
thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your support. And if any of your listeners out there want to support the podcast financially, you can go to my website, prepo.com, hit the podcast page, and support the podcast with a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. I would really appreciate your support and your support for spreading the podcast, sharing it among family, friends, colleagues, people that you feel can really benefit from the content here. And you can check out my website, preboat.com, to sign up for my newsletters. And you know, I was just thinking, I've been doing this podcast for just over four years. It was four years, I think, end of September. And I really appreciate all of you that have been listening, whether it's recent, or for the many years that you have, the four many years with me. Yeah, we've been on a journey about relationships, exploring it, feeling, talking about it, trying to figure it out. So you're just, uh, I just love it. You're dancing with me. (laughs) Dance with me. I want to be your partner, can't you see? The music is just starting, night is calling, and I am falling. Dance with me. Yeah, that's uh, that's from like 1975, I think uh, Orleans sang that song. So thank you for dancing with me, and I look forward to more dances. So here we go, my conversation on polyamory with San Del Vecchio. Mmm, yeah, relationships. Let's talk about it. All right, here we go, Sam. I really appreciate you coming because we've been talking about doing this for a while and, um, I just like being in your presence, man. I enjoy our conversation that we just had. And uh, so I'm looking forward to this this flow. Yeah, it's great to have a reason to be together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a topic that I've never talked about on the, on the podcast. And I, as a couples therapist, have couples that are in polyamorous um, relationships. And so I'm really glad that you're willing to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, for you, how did you explore polyamory in your in your life? And um, was there stigmas that came up for you growing up? And how did how did that come about for you? It came about all at once and out of the blue. Um, about eight years ago, I'm I'm 47. Um, I had unconsciously I hadn't given it much thought, and I'd unconsciously written off polyamory as a f- fancy word justifying, you know, male behavior. I just figured it was like that. And, um, and then someone told me in an intimacy game, a group intimacy game, that was a fun consensual kind of let's lean into the edges kind of game. Someone announced that they had a crush on my wife right in front of me, which broke a lot of rules (laughs) as far as I was concerned and where I was coming from. And that led to a conversation that was facilitated by a polyamorous older man um, who was there and 
who has been kind of a mentor to me. And what he asked questions that took the binary right out of it. Like he, he asked my wife and I, well, where do we draw these lines? You know, what, what, what is allowed and what isn't allowed? What would we consider going outside of the agreements in our marriage? What are those agreements based on? And that conversation opened up just nothing but gray area and made it pretty clear that a lot of, if not most of what we were already doing, by a lot of people's standards would be over the line. Like we've always danced contact improv. Um, we have friends who are um, opposite sex. Um, we talk openly about exes. We're in relationships with our exes, like friendships and all, all kinds of things. And he kept asking questions. Okay, so when are you cheating? What constitutes cheating? Is it a certain kind of sex? Is it any sex? Is What about a long hug? And all that kind of stuff. And I left that with a lot of questions. And then he recommended two books. And my wife and I each read the two books because we were curious. And we both had the experience of realizing at the time, kind of with horror, that we were polyamorous already, that these were our values. Um, and you never had that conversation before with her? No. Yeah. No, never Many come up. Do, yeah. Yeah. Hadn't <laughs> known anyone who was polyamorous. And um, like I said, I'd written it off as male pros promiscuity with a fancy name. Hmm. Um, dismissed it. And blamed it on men too. Right. And so, and that was tough because, you know, I was immediately aware that I was, that my values were such that this, this applied to me, this um, polyamory, this designation, and that didn't feel safe. Mm. Oh, that's something you have to come out about. And, and actually it's like, you're better off coming out as gay than coming out polyamorous in a lot of cases. It's, it's a pretty risky move. In some ways it's illegal when it, kids get involved. Don't people get uh, polygamy and polyamory mixed up? Oh yeah. 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 There's that too. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, here's a, another secret to keep from my parents and mm. et cetera. And so that was a hard time um, making sense of that. And also just the, the structure disappearing, you know, that, you know, when you grow and expand, it can feel threatening to certain parts. Um, like, I don't know where the walls are. I don't know where the ceiling is. Mm. I'm more likely to make a mistake. This all feels very unfamiliar. It's ego dystonic, they say, you know, it's, I'm not sure who I am in this environment when these things are possible. Um, so yeah, we had all of that. And Did you have kids at that time when mm -hmm. you were exploring them? Yeah, mm -hmm. our kids were, I think, uh, four and or five and two. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, for a while it was, we weren't like, okay, well now we're going to act on this. It was just a reframing of a lot of things and uh, a whole different yeah, way of meaning making around our relationship and our values. And it was kind of a permission slip also. And how did you feel the level of your uh, emotional, intimate connection of communication with your wife was? Like, did you feel you would be able to navigate these uncharted territories because of a level of communication or was there fear about mm. where you were from that standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. And well, a crucial point is that I'm, I don't know, not infamous or notorious, but on the way to that word. And like, I'm, I'm well known as being somehow immune to um, jealousy. I've never mm. been jealous. Oh. Um, and my attachment style is such that it kind of makes sense. And um, 
But so I don't have a history of jealousy. That's not an experience I have had or I'd be kind of fun if I did have it. I think I'd feel like more of a real boy, mm. um, maybe someday. So that made it less threatening on that level. Um, and yeah, my wife and I had been together already for eight years by then. And, and yeah, confident in, in our support systems, our skills, our trust. Um, you know, when we read the books, we were able to check all the boxes. Like, you know, you need to be able to do this, 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 and this, if you have any chance of pulling this off. Mm. It's not for the faint of heart. This is high risk behavior, that kind of stuff. So that all felt fine. And we were having the same or very similar experience of learning about polyamory and learning and seeing ourselves in that new light. So that was all a shared experience. What is some of the risk, risky behaviors around that that you want to just let people be yeah. aware of? Um, I'd say that, well, first, let me just cover this piece. Yeah. What I'm seeing out there now is people are saying ethical non-monogamy, ENM, and I'm not seeing polyamory as much, actually far less. And I don't know why, I'm not that tied in, maybe there's, there are ideological reasons why. Maybe polyamory got a bad word because, or connotation because of polygamy or who knows what else. Open swinging relationships. Yeah, yeah. there's also, yeah, there's a large, there are many subcategories. Um, um, but yeah, so people say ENM or eth ethical non-monogamy more that? often. What would you, what's the definition of that to you? Um, or consensual non-monogamy okay. um, is another one. Um, yeah, to me, uh, well, that it's consensual, that it's fully consensual. And there's been enough time for both parties to know the, what they're truly consenting to and they're and they know that their yes is a yes. You need time to know that sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, true consent. Um, and, but then from there on out, it's, it's yeah, that, I mean, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of people would answer it different ways. What constitutes this? Um, I'm trying to, to distill it down for me. I think for me, and I really want to emphasize for me, because this could land as a should for someone else. Um, and that's not my intention at all, nor the impact I even want to have. Um, that for me, truly loving my wife means loving her freedom, loving her future, loving her otherness, her radical otherness. I mean, the more, the closer I get to her, the more I get to know her, the more paradoxically I have the experience of being blown away that she's some kind of an alien and I can't even imagine how she could possibly think and feel the way she does or be motivated by what she's motivated by. You know, this sense of awe and wonder at how other she is and, and wanting to learn about that and put my attention there and listen very closely and know that I'm never gonna have the whole story and that's what the love means. That's what the respect and support means. So I don't want to, I don't want her to have to box in her trajectory. So, you know, one thing they talk about in, um, in polyamory is that the relationship has to adjust and shift to fit the people rather than in monogamy. Often you have, the people have to, fit the relationship. So the relationship can be a static, reliable, um, you know, container or platform. 
Um, but sometimes the freedom suffers or the full expression or the ability to experiment. Um, so yeah, we've done that. We've let our, our relationship keep shifting as we shift and move in different directions. And, you know, and we're able to really listen to who we are and who we're becoming. Mm. Yeah. And, and wow. doing that for one another. That's beautiful. That's, that's just beautiful. Mm. What's coming to mind with that is when you start off saying about the consensual non-monogamy, where I witness with couples is usually one person wants it a lot more than the other. Mm -hmm. And there's more attention around convincing the other person or persuading or manipulating in some ways. And when I see that, there's a real red flag that comes up yeah. around that other person is probably going to concede because of the fear of separation, abandonment, and so forth. And yeah. so when when I heard you say that needs time, that needs time for both to feel a real yes, mm -hmm. I, I, I would put that, that out for people, like really book, bookmark that, that's, that's so important. Yeah, because often we want to say yes, we don't want to control the one we love. Right. We certainly don't want to tell them they can't love who they love. That doesn't feel good. Then we don't, then shame comes up. Yeah, so you, you asked me what, what are some of the pitfalls or dangers um, I would say first and foremost is what they call NRE, new relationship energy. I'm sure biologists could say, and a neurologist could say a lot about it, but I mean, it, that's powerful stuff. And so, you know, waiting until you, you've just been smitten by someone to then start reading, or often people don't even read. Here, rule number one, read the books. <laughs> Save yourself some trouble and read the books. I have a thing about that. It's, it, it, I, it worries me when people don't read the books. You know, just one or two books. It doesn't take that long. You what can do you listen recommend? to them. Gosh, I don't remember that. You know, they keep improving them. I mean, I think more than two was the one that I got the most out of. And then Polysecure is a great, great book. But Polysecure is more attachment theory for polyamorous couples or groups. Um, but yeah. That'll help you, that'll map it out. And then you don't have to do as much trial and error because the stakes are high. And yeah, when we're smitten by someone and having first kisses and first sleepovers and first sexual experiences, like we're not in our right minds. There's tremendous chemical pressure, you know. We're on like, drugs, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we're, in some ways we're smarter than usual in other ways we're not. We have different capacities. And, um, and so a lot of big mistakes can happen there and that can make, create the need for a lot of repair and can just be a lot of trouble. So, and it's so hard to slow that stuff down. So I don't know, people often find themselves in that situation like, oh, I didn't know I was polyamorous until I fell for this person and we're obviously meant for each other. And now I, we have to catch up and there's a learning curve and no time to do it in. Yeah, that's just a tough one. You know, it's messy. It's super messy. Also, um, people are often, in my experience, ideologically aligned with polyamory. Um, certain kinds or certain aspects. And they're like, oh, absolutely. This is who I am. This is the world I want to live in. This is what love means to me. But their attachment styles aren't really ready for it. Um, it's like their bodies can't quite keep up. And 
people end up in tough situations that where it's a little too much too fast. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. And then they often give themselves a hard time, you know, um, you know, you can sign up for something and then end up, you know, in deep intimacy with someone and then realize that you thought you could share them and you can't, and you really want to be the person who can share them and you're up all night and you're not eating and the anxiety is crushing and that, the, you know, and things can get really out of hand and people get hurt. So yeah, which, I mean, it's a lot to learn in a short time. We're coming from a very strict, you know, the, the, the blueprint we've been raised on is, our socialization is a lot to, to deal with, mm -hmm. to change in a short period of time. Yeah. And some of the structure of relationships, usually there's a primary relationship. And yet there's also many people that um, are not in a primary relationship and they have equality around their different polyamorous relationships. Yeah. Is there different kinds of, I don't want to say rules, but rules of engagement when it comes to primary relationship and bringing in a uh, NRE? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's another, um, I recommend like, carefully laying all that out and having regular check-ins um, because that all has to be mapped out and has to be custom tailored and everyone has to consent and, and course corrections are necessary. So, yeah. And, and even if, you know, they use letters of the alphabet, they'll say, Oh, I'm in a V, you know, one person is the pivot. If, if, if it's mm -hmm. me and my wife and her boyfriend, you know, she's the pivot. She's mm. the point of the V, but sometimes you're in an N or an M or a W, it gets complicated. And everybody is in relationship to everybody else in that group. And it needs to be clear what the agreements are. And I mean, there's STIs for one thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes you need a spreadsheet to figure that out. Right. Um, but there's also just... Um, so there's yeah. a lot of trust in that because yeah. you gotta trust the other people that are involved and even though, uh, you know, my experience with you that you're very high in integrity and so forth, many people aren't. They're just either blinded by that or making their way hopefully towards integrity. So it, there's a trust factor, not just mm -hmm. in, let's, let's say, a primary partner that they're choosing the right person, but you in some way have. Do you have like a, a veto? Is there like... Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, and so, yeah, the, the hierarchical way of looking at that's how we began like okay this gets complicated and it, it just leads to more questions in my experience so far um like how do you define primary for example like is it veto power which is power over an authority and you can pull rank and circle the wagons and that's intense that's a big move i, I had someone not talk to me for 18 months because i pulled rank mm. once um it was really damaging really harmful um because it was a power over, you know, it's like, but then. And that power over was because you didn't feel safe? Yeah, my, um, yeah, I was in a relationship with someone who was in a relationship with someone else and they were having a really hard time. And it was looking like a downward spiral to me. And they were trying to pull out of the dive and it wasn't working. And it was really taking its toll on me. And the three of us got together and I said, I'd really like it if you two could call it, 
you know, this is, this is really hard on me, on the kids. And, you know, this is just a lot. And I don't think it's going to get better. I don't think it's going to work. I'm so sorry. And it was a pretty strong move to make, you know, because I was the husband and father, you know. Um, so then again, that's what makes it primary. I mean, if you've got, there's already a bunch of power dynamics or unequal footing. If there's money, if there's household, if there's children, those are very real realities that create a lot of intimacy and interdependence um, and trust. And yeah, that make things uneven. Time together, time spent together, things that we've been through together. Um, so regardless of what we decide, um, as far as agreements and rules, there are always power dynamics anyway. Gender, race, all of it. There's just so many power dynamics that are there. Age. And yeah, yeah. Um, ability, all of it. So, and, um, but then, yeah, the veto power, I think when we began, we were attracted to that and it got less and less interesting and then less and less realistic as, like, to me, it seems like kind of a mirage or like it doesn't, I, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Because it's a little false sense of power, like pull the fire alarm. I get to pull the fire alarm yeah. if I need to. Is it really polyamory? Am I really, like the way I defined it for myself, am I really respecting and coming with curiosity and 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 belief in my own resilience and the, the underlying deep security of our relationship um, to be transformed and that knowing that any transformation involves a death and an uncertain period, um, yeah, the, like, what would it mean to veto? That's, I, I can't imagine that really working. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, it, it, there's such a power dynamic there. Yeah, and again, I have questions about it. I don't really get it. I haven't been in that situation. The thing I did was the closest I've ever come to vetoing. You know, and I didn't Were say- Were you ever on the opposite end? No. Um, yeah, so in the past eight years, I've had two partners outside of my marriage. Um, one was for most of a year, and this gets into some other interesting territory. And then the other one I've been with for almost five years, and we're still together. And we have a very rhythmic, integrated relationship. Um, the first one, uh, there was a point where she um, wanted to start dating her ex again. And, and I, that was a no for me. Not for her to date him, but for me to be in that kind of intimacy with him, to be in a V with her and him. And, and so I, I said, if you're going to do that, I'm going to need to withdraw because I don't want to be in that relationship with him. That doesn't work for me. And because plain and simple, you are going to be in a relationship with yes, him in some way. Yes, yeah. very much so. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and for me, what worked was I just withdrew from the physical intimacy and um, that was kind of the easiest change to make. And that was enough. And then that relationship has since, then we've been having a dinner every Wednesday night for, gosh, six, seven years. Um, and she's like a second mother to my kids. And she's more like a sister than a friend. Um, you know, that's the other thing I want to kind of highlight that what's happened for me is that the existing English categories for intimacy levels of relationships are not enough. 
I find myself in relationships that are just really, that each one is unique. And so I can only talk about them by name, really. And then I have to describe what they do. It's like that, that what makes them verbs, their relational activities, what they look like, what we do. Every Wednesday night, we have dinner. We go up and we read the kids to sleep together. And and then actually a few years ago, I I I matched this woman with an old friend of mine because I thought they'd be a good match. And now they've built a house together and they're um, getting pregnant and going to start a family. And he comes also on Wednesday nights. So I love that. Wow. You know, that's kind of like my dream ex story. Yeah. yeah. And, and how do you kids relate to that? Oh, yeah. This is, I was hoping you would ask that. Mm. Um, that was the biggest fear for my wife and me. Um, yeah. You know, it, there was a lot of kind of taboo that we had to navigate to even move towards this. And especially when we started, she was the first to have a, a relationship outside of our marriage and with someone who I was good friends with. Um, and we're, do we hide it from the kids? Are we going to have to tell the kids that they can't tell the grandparents? Mm-hmm. They have to keep secrets for us. Um, you know, how do we answer their questions? You know, our rule with the kids has always been like, you know, what are we willing to answer questions about? <laughs> you know. Are we prepared to answer questions about that thing? Because if not, then let's avoid it for now. Um, we were really, really worried that we were going to screw up the kids, um, put them in impossible situations, or create shame or embarrassment for them, um, or for them to feel like their family was somehow criminal, whatever it was. It was a, the biggest fear. And the years went by, and it never came up. They never asked. We were just watching them. Um, wondering, looking for signs of um, them being concerned or being under duress. And gradually, you know, there were more and more boyfriends and girlfriends and relationships and uh, dates and people that were kind of becoming parts of the family and then for some years at a time and then not so much a part of the family or in a different way. Never saw any trouble, never heard about any trouble. And then finally, after I think about six years, this was just a couple years ago, um, I had just had enough. I was so curious. So I decided, I, I talked to my wife and I was like, I'm going to bring it up with the kids. Um, so at this point, they're like 10 and seven. Um, and I sat them down and I said, have you two ever noticed anything different about the way mama and I love each other? Oh yeah, here's a big piece of information you need to know backstory is that my wife and I live next door to one another um, because we inhabit space very differently and really like having our own houses. Um, It's a hard thing for people to understand. We're life partners, we love each other like crazy and we live next door to each other and that's how it works for us. It's been that way for five years. So the kid's first answer was, um, well, you don't live together. And I was like, okay, yeah, what else? Uh, nothing else. Like in every other way, we seem the same as all your parents or your friend's parents. Yeah. Yeah. And then they weren't getting there. I said, well, okay, well, what about, um, CJ? What about Eli named the relationships we were in? Um, what about them? Well, who is CJ to mama? Who's Eli to me? 
Well, they're your friends. You have dates. Yeah, but they sleep over. So it just went on like this. Um, and they were relaxed, curious, a little perplexed that I was, you know, they didn't know what information I was looking for. And it finally came to the point where I said, okay, there's a thing called monogamy. I had to lay it out for them. And there's a thing called polyamory. And this is the difference between them. And here's how the world sees these things. They're pretty loaded and um, people have big opinions and energy around them. And we are this way. And their response was, that's ridiculous. They, they were totally dismissive. In a, they, they were like, they basically, they weren't able to articulate it quite this way, but what they said was, how sad for you that you have to have those categories. I, we don't see any value in that. And we're not interested in those categories. We love all these people. We have good lives. Our family is awesome. There's, yeah. Can we, can we play now? Like, are we done talking about this silly adult abstraction mm. that I hear is important to people we don't know, but yeah, that's enough. It, that was it. It hasn't come up since. How do you feel after that conversation with them? I was like really relieved. I was really grateful that, uh, that I don't have to be a perfect dad and know exactly what I'm doing and get everything right for to have resilient, wise kids. You know, it's, it's I've made it. All I have to do is not make two terrible mistakes and, and really mainly just communicate and repair. And, and the kids are, I mean, my kids know things that I didn't know in my thirties mm. and they're capable of things that, yeah, that my parents are still not capable of. And a lot of the adult world isn't. So yeah, I was really relieved. It's like, oh, they're did that good help, for them. Did that help you in just knowing that whatever comes up in their lives that you can be able to have conversations. Cause I always, mm. I remember reading a book called um, positive discipline for teenagers. When my son was a teenager, it had nothing to do with discipline. What it, what it really was focused on was you don't have to worry about having a conversation about drugs or sex. Just have a relationship with your kid. If you yeah. have a relationship with your kid, you could talk about anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most important thing to me is that they come to me, that they see me as a resource that they, they don't have reason to regret confiding in me. Mm. And I want, I want to be able to support them more than anything. I don't want to ever miss a chance. Yeah. Was that juxtaposed with, with your parents? Did you feel that? No, mm -hmm. no. Yeah. I, yeah, not at all. It was very different. Mm. I had to, um, manipulate my parents and, and lie very skillfully. And, or at least I thought I did. I think I did. I think it was a pretty, I think it was the best coping strategy available to me. Yeah. And then that's still true. You know, they're, they, they're things, they really don't want to know about this. You know, it would be brutal for me to tell my parents about polyamory and, and how our family operates. They don't want to know. They don't ask. Um, and I think I would be met with denial if I tried to tell them. It would be for me if I tried mm. to tell them. And I think it would harm our relationship and maybe break their hearts. They're pretty brittle 
Yeah. Are you accepting of that? Or is there a struggle in that? Well, yeah, there's there's a deep grief that goes all the way back. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and and acceptance. Yeah, mm -hmm. that I can feel the grief when I'm able to accept. When I'm not, then it's more anger and resentment. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so it's part of a bigger pattern of not really being known and yeah, and being disappointed that their trauma is such, their limitations are such that they're not capable of being curious, let alone even integrating information like this. Which is a large part of society also, yeah. in some way. Yeah. You, you brought something up earlier that, that I think pertains to this a little bit is, I did a podcast on the difference between privacy and secrecy. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times in relationships like polyamory or there's aspects of what's private and what's secret. And to me, secrecy has a an element of shame mm -hmm. in it, as opposed to privacy is a certain autonomy and boundary, you know, that, yeah. that we want. And I can see where some of the pitfalls that people might get into is around secrecy, which as you're telling me and what I hear and experience is the more open and honest and authentic that you can be create safety for people around feeling that what's out, what's happening is known. When it's not known, it can be very challenging. But there's also an aspect of, I'm sure there's times where some partners say, I don't want to know. I don't want to know all mm -hmm. the details of your sexual life with this other partner. And there's a, and I think that that's a wonderful boundary. Like, yeah. yes, you don't have to go into details. Mm -hmm. But then there's probably the extreme of, I want to know because I don't want to conjecture in my head. Do you have to, have you dealt with that? Well, yeah, you bringing it up is, I'm um, lands in me really clearly. Like uh, when I'm, I think, I think secrecy for me has a different feeling. Like it, it, it involves a splitting off. Something has to be, has to come out of my wholeness and inhabit a different space that's protected um, and denied and there's i have to give something up for that and privacy is different from that yeah privacy i can feel completely whole yeah i mean i definitely had experiences in childhood of lying and being secretive and forgetting what was true before i made that the story you know like really effective lying involves a kind of delusionary way of holding things mm -hmm. you have to believe the lie to really pull it off beautifully um and it's not so beautiful there's a high cost so there's that and yet yeah, there is privacy and um that exact example i mean it's um yeah i sometimes the 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 details of one of my partner's sex life for example um i've been wanting to not really have her process that with me because it's it'll interfere with my relationship with her partner um just because of the circumstances we're in and you know that would be a little too much too fast like i know how much information i can integrate and how much time and i don't want to push myself too hard and i don't want like an overflowing inbox because then i'm not I'm going to make more mistakes. That's such a good boundary because I know yeah. that a lot of people in polyamorous relationships I hear, it gets exhausting when uh, uh, one of the partners have to process and then they're going over and processing and then they feel that they have to come back and process with the other partner to keep 
all the information continuity go, going and there's like this constant um, energy flow that's yeah. going towards a lot of disclosure as opposed to, you know, like you said, feeling within yourself of what feels, um, I don't, I don't want the word safe, um, but healthy in some way, knowing yourself of what's, what's healthy and perceptions that you might have of other people and so yeah. forth. Yeah, I think of it sometimes in terms of like, I have a zone of resilience and then I have a zone beyond that where I, I can still function highly and be competent, but I'm, I'm not gonna learn new things as well. And you know, I'm just gonna be less curious and a little more protective and you know, it's just, yeah, I wanna be at my best mm. because then I can be that most present and most relational and make the fewest mistakes and have access to the things that feel really good. Like when I can feel compassion and empathy for people, things work better and we're all, it's nicer. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't wanna get, if I bite off more than I can chew, then yeah, it gets a little messy. Yeah, and some people don't know that boundary of themselves. Yeah. And especially with, you know, there's a, I think a first connotation when people, some people hear about polyamory, they think, oh, I get to fuck anybody who I want. You know, mm. oh, this is gonna be great. Yeah. As opposed to, the levels that we're talking about around integrity, around the aspect of uh, knowing oneself and wanting love and health for another person. How do you do that in a way with grace? Yeah. And um, at first when I was started off working with couples in polyamory, the the bias that I had was like, oh man, one relationship is, is hard enough. Why you guys fucking wanna do this? Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I realized how expansive that really is of really knowing ourselves so that that it encompassed more of how to just be in relationship period not just with so many other people it's like how am i in relationship period not only with myself but with others yeah yeah and that self-knowledge is huge yeah i mean mm -hmm. i didn't know when when we first embarked on this i had that thought it's like all the women i've ever lusted after i could call them up <laughs> and uh and it took me a while to figure out that, you know, for a while I, I actually realized, I, th I thought I'm, I'm never gonna date anybody. I'm polyamorous to the core, but I'm just gonna be with my wife for the rest of my life because I'm not really actually interested in, one relationship is enough for me. Um, you know, one of this kind of relationship, because I like to have lots of different kinds of relationships. And I'm also pretty introverted and I have relationships with animals and with places and with, meditation and it, there's only so many hours in a day and but then i realized after a while that and somebody made a term for it. there's a term for everything now relational terms and there's a term um demisexual and turns out i'm demisexual that describes me like if there isn't an emotional connection then i'm not sexually interested mm. and you know in the early days i i came up against male socialization. You know, I was like, gosh, I'm not as interested as I should be. Where's my virility? I'm not a real man, all that nonsense. Um, and then I've since learned that this is how I am. Yeah, I'm not interested in one night stands. That sounds awful and sounds lonely. I, I wouldn't even know how to begin. Hmm. I, I don't even know if my body could respond in a situation like that. Um, so yeah, so I've learned that about myself and and what yeah. about sexual, do you, is, is there a um, belief system that polyamory is a sexual orientation? Is that at all 
um, part of the discussion with sexual orientation? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I don't know. There might be other answers to that, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't, I, you know, like I said, I think that a lot of people would define polyamory as, you know, they would draw their lines way before it's sexual connection. Okay. Yeah, you know, that if, if I were married to, so I could be married to someone who would be really uncomfortable with me going and visiting an old female friend who's an ex-girlfriend um, in another state and having long hugs and sleeping over to staying at her place for a few days. Well, you know, that might be just, that would be across most people's lines, even if we didn't even give each other a peck on the cheek. Hmm. So your, your, your makeup of what you said about not, not experience jealousy, um, does that go across outside of relationships? Like, you know, somebody that has a certain lifestyle or some material thing or something. Oh, envy. You know, envy. Yeah, does that? Yeah. Does that? Oh, I, I've envied people money. I'd love mm. to be a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. At least I think I would. Mm. Maybe it would get complicated. Um, yeah, I do have that. I mean, it doesn't eat me up mm -hmm. and it doesn't motivate me to, you know, work harder to have more money. <laughs> but uh, there are things people have that I wish I had. I like your deep voice. Mm, there you go. I'd press the button that gave me your deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to learn how to uh, market that somehow. Uh -huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Is there another word? Well, I heard it sometimes. Is that is it compression? Compression? Oh, compersion. Compersion. Yeah, yeah. I experience compersion. What is it? I'm experiencing that right now. Hmm. Um, and you know, let me just say, I feel a little bit like I just uh, boasted because I think it's something people want and it's really hard for them. Um, and I have this privilege of not having, I mean, I have all kinds of neuroses. I just don't have this one, the jealousy one. Um, so I get to have compersion. Um, it's just like right now, my wife is um, beginning a new relationship with a sweet man the kids really like and I like, and we've talked about a lot. And um, we all just met him a few days ago and she's been dating him for maybe a month or two. And she's just over the moon. She's so happy. She's just having all the firsts with him and um, and she's glowing and excited. And yeah, she's it's wonderful to be around her and I'm so happy for her. Um, because here's a huge part of polyamory for me. What it does for me is that... Um, my wife, I do not have to be everything for my wife. I don't need to meet all of her intimacy needs because wow. I can't. And it's great that, I'm, that she has other ways. You know, I, I built my own house. It was a huge project and took me a couple of years of really hard work. And I was not available for intimacy like I normally was in my relationships. And the fact that my partners had other partners made that a lot easier for all of us. Mm. You know, for that's just one example. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in this situation here, yeah, my wife is like, she comes and she tells me, I ask her questions. I want to hear all about it. Um, it's just delightful. I, I love her. And so when she's thriving, it makes me really happy. Her mm. pain is my pain. Her joy is my joy. Does she do uh, that for you? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Mm. Um, she tells me that she has some jealousy. Um, 
I don't know. I, I think maybe I haven't noticed it or she hasn't needed to tell me about it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I do know other people that are kind of like I am or well, one other one besides my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's compersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Just being really, I mean, it, it's what someone is familiar feeling for their best friend, you know? So it's really being ecstatic and happy and supportive of somebody else's joy and pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish we had more of that just yeah. across the board yeah. in life, right? Yeah. yeah. That would transform the world. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I want, I've always wondered, I've never looked it up, but I don't know the etymology of the word. I'm yeah. sure it comes from somewhere. Was there anything else that you want to share about, about this topic? I love where you went with all of this and our conversation with that. And I would just like to say, like, you know, we've had some conversations. I know that a couple years ago we had a deeper conversation, thought we would take our relationship more frequently and it just didn't happen and mm-hmm. just sparked when it when it did or in, in levels. And I'm really enjoying getting to know you on this. And, and I just, you know, want to say, I just really feel that you're an integral man in this in this expression that, that you're telling me. And so I have a lot of respect mm. for you. Oh, I'm so glad to, and, and I'm excited to be talking about this. I mean, it, there's so much more that we could talk about now yeah. that we've started. I'm like, oh, but, we'll, but we'll all do, the other we'll, stuff. We'll do a part two. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, one thing, when you said if there's anything else, I'm thinking out loud, I don't know what it is, but it has something to do with, um, if I were listening to this podcast or people I know we're listening to this podcast. I think I'd be like, well, he makes it sound so easy. You know, he must be leaving a lot out. So I want to think of something I can volunteer. That's one of the harder things, um, for me. And I would say it's this for me, um, that I'm in a lot of triangles and confidentiality, privacy gets really complicated. Um, I also live in an eco village and that's, you know, I have multiple relationships with the same people that operate on different levels. You know, someone is, you know, am I dealing with you as my landlord or right now, or, or my, my wife's ex or my father figure or whatever, you know, what, what are the power dynamics in the exact level of relationality that we're having right now? It can be tricky. But then also when people confide in me and I hold that in confidence in practical reality, that usually amounts to me needing to lie to someone I love. You know, I have to withhold information or just flat out say, I'm not willing to talk about that. And, or sometimes like kind of lie. And that's really awkward and difficult. Um, that's hard. And, you know, for example, my best friend is, well, is a trans woman now, but was the husband is now the partner of the woman I've been dating for five years. Um, and that's a strong triangle. You know, there's a lot of communication there and then things that are, are and aren't appropriate at different times with different people and a lot of choice points and a lot of potential for mistakes or regrettable sharing and, um, and also you know, a lot of learning and experimentation. But yeah, knowing what to say to whom, what not to say. And more than that, the more vulnerable pieces I I feel less safe when everybody's not getting along. That's family of origin, mm-hmm. you know? Like I want everybody in the household to be on speaking terms and to be on the same page. And if they're not, I start wanting to 
you know, tweak things mm. and pull strings and be the peacemaker. Yeah. And mm. yeah, facilitate interaction, but that can become manipulative. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, it's a management strategy for anxiety. And, you know, sometimes it's not up to me and mm. I have to give it time. I know a lot about a lot of people who know a lot about it, but all of our understanding is incomplete. And I just have to live with that kind of messy human experience. That's a lot to sign up for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I'm glad you spoke to that. Mm -hmm. yes. Well, brother, before we leave, is there anything that um, you want people to know about with your work, with some projects that you got mm -hmm. going on that you want to let people know about? Um, gosh. <laughs> I think I want to say this. I'm not sure this is what you mean, but uh, I want to own this. Um, this is a story I'm living with right now because it's the best one I can come up with. I do couples work, um, and I've and I know there's a need for uh, polyamory aware therapists um, uh, or polyamory informed, let's say, and. I haven't opened up to that because my inability to, or my lack of experience with jealousy, I think disqualifies me to really be good at that. Um, and so I, I just wanted to name that. Mm. That's why, you know, if you look me up, you're not going to see anything about, um, I would love to help polyamorous couples or groups and, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I could do that well when I've only experienced, when I haven't experienced the single most difficult part of it for most people. I still think you can. You do? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I still think that you can. I think you're a very sensitive human being that you can have empathy and understand it. doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have that experience in, in all that realm. I don't have experience with addiction, alcohol addiction and so forth, but when I'm, when I'm working with a couple that has it, I can understand the underlying challenges with it. Mm. And I can still be with a couple that is working through that that problem. So I think the broad experience and the heartful um, place that you come from around wanting to help couples in polyamory, that's the wonderful aspect that people are looking for. So yeah, there's definitely a strong need. Yeah. There's not much out no, there. No, there's not. Yeah, no. and, and this book, Polysecure, yeah. was groundbreaking because yeah. most attachment theory is telling people to form couple bubbles. Right. You know, and yeah, it's, yeah that's confusing. Yeah, I'd refer you. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah. how can people contact you in case they want to explore it? How can they? Yeah. Um, they're just looking, just Googling me. I have a, a I'm on the um, Somatic Experiencing, Experiencing International uh, directory. And I also have a web page with an email and a phone number. Okay. And we'll have all that in the show notes for people um, that they can contact you in that way. Cool. All it's right. been great talking to you. Yeah, I can man. talk to you for many hours more. Yeah. Well, we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Sam. Really appreciate it. Man. Mm -hmm. Relationships. Let's talk about it is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content 
is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.